what's the difference between a good agent and a bad agent in the final price? Mm. If you take into account negotiation ability, work ethic, and marketing resources to attract the buyers. It could be hundreds of thousands. Hundreds. Yep. Do you think there'll be a bit of that throughout like the transition of market, like a lot of stock pulling from market that maybe just thought they were jumping in for maybe a different motivation, you know, because we've always talked about the motivation for people, if it's the right motivation, they'll always sell, you know, if they're committed more to a process. Oh, look, if you're selling a home because you're not buying another home again, I don't know, health, whatever the reason, Yeah. you... You may turn around and say, I'm not affected by selling and buying because I'm only just selling. Yeah. Right? And you might turn around and say, I'm going to sit here and, and, and ride the wave. But I had a, a property three weeks ago and I said to the owners, it was in Borkham Hills and they were moving to Bangalore near Byron Bay. And I just said to them, you know, what do you want to do? They said, we're 50 grand short. I said, okay, my approach when I'm helping put a deal together is I'm not very pushy. I say, no worries, I'll just call the auction off. And then they said, yeah, okay, thanks. And I said, but before I do that, before you make up your final mind, I want to ask you this question. What are you going to do next? They said, we're going to keep it. I said, okay. And what are you going to do after that? I said, we're going to wait till the next time the market goes up. We'll just stay here. Hmm. I said, okay. And then when the market goes up, what are you going to do? They said, then we'll sell. I said, and then what will you do then? Then we'll move to Bangalore. I said, okay. And when you go to Bangalore, do you think you'll be buying at today's prices or will you be buying at the new prices? Yeah. And I could see them start processing. And I said, I hope you understand that when the market goes up and your home goes up, so will Bangalore. So I think a better question to ask yourself is, not when is the market going to go up next, but are you going to make a decision for your family based on the market or based on your life? The way I see it is you could be living near Byron Bay in six weeks' time and commercially you'll be in exactly the same situation on whether you do it in three years' time. So the real issue is, do you want to still stay here for the next three years? And they sold. <laughs> Someone needs to sit there and explain to people, yeah. this is a holistic two-chapter book, you know? And the reality is that if you're selling and buying, man, move forward with your life. Mm. And we can be so caught up in, in that one result. You know, especially when they go through a process because it, it is quite lengthy. You know, if it, an auction campaign, by the time you get it there the whole way, it's been four weeks. It is quite gruelling and you start holding on to these numbers in your head as to what, what you think really matters when, as you've just highlighted for those people in particular, didn't really matter that 50 grand. What mattered was actually moving on so, and getting so, to where they want to so, be. So, Matt, and I don't... I've just explained something that's logical and anyone that's listening or watching this will turn around and say, you know what, that's not flawed what the guy's saying. But when you're in the midst of things, when you're a vendor that's done a four-week campaign, when you've become obsessed about every feedback the agent's been giving you, you're focused on one thing 
And Daniel Kahneman, who won a Nobel Prize in 1979, studied something quite fascinating about humans, and that is they'll feel more pain losing a dollar than pleasure winning a dollar. And that's important because if you can understand this concept, you begin to realise why vendors become so protected Mm. about the value of their home. People feel more pain losing a dollar than pleasure winning a dollar. So what we're saying is you'll get more upset of losing 50 grand in the sale of your property than winning 50 grand in your purchase. But a logical person will say, but it's the same. Mm. You're in the same spot. But as human beings, we will do anything to protect what we've got. Hence, people taking out insurance in everything in their life. Yep, yep. I really, really like that because it's such a common thing you hear about, I don't need to sell, I don't need to sell. Yes, but you want to. Yes. Don't lose sight of the reasons why you wanted to in the first instance. Mm. And I guess that sort of brings us to something else which you wanted to really ask you. And part of getting through that process in the best possible way is choosing the right agent that's going to guide you. So if you are a seller at the moment, if it was yourself, Tom, how do you select that right agent? What do you look for? As much as people want to turn around and say they make a logical decision, they make an emotional decision that's justified logically afterwards. Mm. So there's this conversation and they just sort of feel, you know what, yeah, he or she is the one. But what are the factors with my 35 years in real estate that I would be looking at at an agent? I'd be looking at what have the recent people that have actually sold said and felt about this agent? I think they matter. Because recency trumps loyalty and you should never forget that. Recency meaning the recent feedback. Number two, I would think to myself, this agent is going to be part of my life for four to six weeks, right? I'm bringing them into the boundary of my life. They're coming inside a perimeter which I don't let other people in. Mm. How do I feel about having this person in my life? Because when you're buying a home, you actually really don't have that much interaction with the agent you buy from. No. They actually they actually never come into your home, right? No. Right? So I'd have to feel comfortable about that. Is this the sort of person where when I see their phone number on my phone and it's ringing, I'm happy to talk to them or I think, okay, it's this conversation again, right? So I'd, I'd look at that. Then I'd have a look at their ability to attract buyers and negotiate with the best buyers. So to me, a real estate agent brings two things to the table. Marketing resources to attract maximum audience because you want to sell it to the best buyer, not the first buyer. And once that's been achieved, negotiation ability. Because very rarely is the cheapest agent and the best agent the same agent. Mm. Very rarely, right? So... On average, if you were to ask the industry what they believe, and you know, you'd be a very good person to have a view on this, yep. is what's the difference between a good agent and a bad agent in the final price? Mm. 
if you take into account negotiation ability, work ethic, and marketing resources to attract the buyers. It could be hundreds of thousands. Hundreds. Yep. Matt, most people tell me it's at least 5%. Yep. Others say more likely 10%. So if you're listening to this and there's an average price point in your marketplace of a million, we're talking about $100,000 sitting on the table if not executed properly and if not selecting the right agent to execute that strategy. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. It's something we see all too often, though, is, you know, when people think, you know, most vendors, when they're making a decision, for a lot of them, I know in my marketplace, I think the average hold time is about nine years. So, you know, a decade or so between each sale, it becomes quite tricky to navigate when you get back in. And hence the reason for the podcast today, because I know sometimes they'll speak with family and friends and they'll either get referrals from, you know, people that they've dealt with in the past, or sometimes it can be a little bit of downward pressure on who's the cheapest agent, who's going to tell me the dearest price, which as we all know, is just a recipe for disaster in any market. But, you know, obviously, I think this market especially, there's been a lot of downward pressure on fees and, you know, obviously agents coming out and sort of saying, well, this is the price I think you can achieve. And because we've been in a market that's trending upwards, it's been achievable. So I think for some vendors, it's been a little bit more difficult to try and tell the difference between a good and a bad agent because everyone's seemingly selling property. I don't know if you'd agree with the same thing, but I feel like I, I'm seeing I, a bit of that. I do, I do, I do agree with it. I, I do agree when the market's hot, there's a levelling of that 10%, right? There's mm. a levelling, right? So the, the, the market actually can often help put the deal together, which complements the agent's ability, right? I get that. Mm. But I still don't think that it actually does the same job, good agent, bad agent. I still think to myself, even in a hot market, a good agent will still get more money than a bad agent. And I've got to tell you, the most expensive thing I've seen in real estate is putting a good buyer in front of a bad agent. Mm. That's really expensive. Yeah. yeah. Well, the other thing we wanted to talk to you about, Tom, which we we touched off off camera a little bit, was obviously with your breadth of experience, because you, you see so many different markets, I know you you know you do have a passion for the inner west and you do a lot of lot of um, work there in terms of auctions but you mentioned you sort of you know you've invested a lot over the years over the next you know couple of years what would you say to people looking to try and invest where where would you be looking you know in terms of segments of the market or perhaps you know areas that maybe you think are, are going to experience some good growth over the next decade so Lachlan, I'll have a punt but I actually think no one ever gets this question right, right? You know, no one gets it right. We could right. go back on this in five years. Yeah. You could look pretty good. Yeah. Oh, I've got to tell you, I did tip three months ago an easing of the market and um, and I had a lot of people on my social media sort of said, you know, doesn't know what he's talking about. A lot of random, few trollers, this and that. And then last week, so this is two months later when it has actually eased, Yeah. I got stuck at Sunshine Coast Airport um, because uh, there was a, a problem with the, the aircraft coming back to Sydney and they took us on a bus ride from Sunshine Coast Airport to Brisbane to take a, another plane. They couldn't get a plane mm-hmm. to uh, Marichidor. So I had a lot of time to spare, you know. So I just went back to each individual <laughs> and said, what now? Yeah, I love it. <laughs> right? Um, but here's my view. My view is that I love using um, past track records 
to help make a better decision using data from the past. In 1919, when the Spanish flu sort of ravaged and, you know, killed a minimum, they say 50 million people, might have been more. But it's the closest reference point we had to COVID-19. What happened is people started leaving the core city areas. They started moving rural, regional, away Mm. from the hubs. And then when medications started rolling in and the Spanish flu virus disappeared, what they noticed is people returned back in droves to where they left from. So what I think may happen is that people, as the vaccine starts getting absorbed by the population, as COVID-19 slowly becomes something of the past over the next six months, a year, two years, what we'll see some of these areas that didn't do as well during the COVID period will start getting interest again. So I think units will actually get popularity again mm. because what happened is units have actually dropped in prices. If you look at them, you know, and I talk about houses have gone crazy, but units have dropped. So an inner city unit, which became a scary spot for people living in because they're thinking, oh, you know, let's going to happen in New York. We're going to have virus coming through the building and we're going to, you know. Such close contact. Yeah. Mm. I think those areas and that kind of product will go up. I think there's a group of people that have moved to real, rural, rural areas. And I'm getting anecdotal feedback from people that deal with them saying that they feel like some of them have jumped the gun yeah. that actually moving there and living you know 10 hours away from where they were living has not actually gone as what they thought you yeah. know so i can see maybe a softening of those areas that have had a benefit of infrastructure will like terrigal's an interesting one because i'd hardly have gone to terrigal But ever since the North Connects was built Mm. and I realised that I can leave my home in the inner west and have really one set of traffic lights to get to the freeway that gets me to the central coast, it becomes attractive because I don't look at kilometres, I look at driving time. Yeah. So I think uh, those areas are going to benefit anything that's... Uh, had infrastructure that means that driving times reduced driving times um, a big issue because most people actually drive to these areas right so I would say that would be it and then the last thing is COVID-19 COVID clarity as I call it COVID clarity gave people a clear vision of what they wanted their lives to look at because they had a chance to press the pause button and they woke up in April last year And they thought, you know what, I need a Zoom room because I don't want to fight over the kitchen bench with my partner on who's got the kitchen bench and who's sitting on a sofa. We need a Zoom room, right? You know what? We need a swimming pool. We need a pool because I want my home to feel like a hotel if I can't go holiday at a hotel. I want a pool, right? 
I want another room that I'm going to put in a bench press and some treadmills, mm-hmm. right? Because if I can't go to any time fitness, I'll make any time fitness my own gym here, right? So I think homes that have got a lifestyle appeal to it are going to be very popular in real estate as well because COVID clarity gave people a vision of what they want their life to look like. Yeah, I'd, I'd be interested to know if, if you share the same thought. I've been thinking a lot about whether that will reverse once, as you said, once people start to come back to the cities. But my thought is that once a lot of people have had a taste of that home atmosphere, that extra space, you know, it's very rare for someone to go back to a smaller property. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking that they may be willing to live with the extra drive time, even if they are going to the office where they maybe wouldn't have previously because they've had a taste. Do you sort of see that happening? Or? If the drive is half an hour extra, mm. what you'll do is a pro-cons analysis and you'll say, you know what, I lived in the inner city, now I'm living in the shire, mm. right? I can live with that. The real issue is if you thought nine months ago that the world was permanently changing and that your employer will allow you to do a five-day week using Zoom from your new home, it appears that ain't happening. It appears that there's been this tension between employer and employee and eventually the employer has won and said, you're coming back. Mm. Even if you're not coming back full-time, you're coming back. So... If you've gone to Tamworth thinking that you're going to be able to run a metro executive role by Zoom, well, that might not actually eventuate permanently, right? So I think the real issue is that, hey, if you can drive in but it's a little bit longer, you'll probably do a pros-cons analysis. Okay, a little bit more driving time, but I've got this. I'll stay here. But if it's the next ladder out, which is, oh, I've got to take a flight in. I've got to be in there on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I've got to take a flight in. I'm going to have to sleep at a hotel room or find somewhere to go live with my mother-in-law Monday nights and Tuesday nights. You know, that's where I think COVID-19 has showed us we're not permanently changing to a home workforce. No. The one I wonder will change is, Areas like Terrigal, we're seeing a lot of people coming up from Sydney because the affordability is awesome. The home that you just described is, you know, 30%, 40% cheaper on the coast than it is in some parts of Sydney. I wonder if some of the, the clientele that we deal with would end up looking at similar jobs on the coast and taking that pay cut for the lifestyle change. I wonder if oh, that's something that will... I think absolutely they would. I mm. think if you were to do a, a, a survey of people and you said to them you're going to get paid 150k a year, not 200k a year, but you're going to not have to drive to Sydney. You're going to be able to work at Gosford. Yeah. Right? I think there'll be plenty of takers. Yeah, definitely. Well, mate, okay. we appreciate your time. Thank we you understand so you've got a massive weekend ahead with Eric, and I'm sure there's been a fair bit of preparation already and a fair bit more to go. I know I'll be seeing you up there. I don't know if Lock is getting up there, but we'll, um, we'll look forward to it. So thank you so much for your time. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank Thanks, you so Tom. much. Thank Cheers. you, mate. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of Property Chat with Lockie and Matt, powered by our great friends at Real Hub and Campaign Track. As always, like and subscribe to stay up to date with the latest episodes.